Hey, you can be seated. Isn't it good to know that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens to you in life, the cross has the final word. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. Hey, grab a Bible and go with me to the Gospel of Matthew in the sixth chapter. And while you're doing that, I want to greet all the folks who are joining us online. So glad to have you be a part of our service wherever you might be. Uh, we're going to rejoin our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew this weekend called Let's Talk About Jesus. I say rejoin because we took a weekend off last week to celebrate Father's Day. Next week, we'll take a week off because uh, we always have, uh, the weekend before the 4th of July, we always have a patriotic weekend here at Mount Pleasant. It's a very meaningful weekend, and once again this year, our service will be focused around the theme of praying for America, so I hope that you'll be here uh, and uh, invite somebody to join us. It's always, as I said, a very meaningful service. I was looking at my preaching calendar this week and saw that we've been in the Gospel of Matthew now for six months. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. I can't think of anything better to do than spend time with other brothers and sisters, other believers, talking about Jesus. I love the way the Apostle Paul, who was arguably the greatest evangelist who ever lived, I love the way he described his approach to ministry in his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he wrote these words. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You can't go wrong when you talk about Jesus. He has the power to change anybody's life, certainly has the power to impact the world. And that's why we're working our way verse by verse through this gospel. I told you from the beginning that I want you to know more about Jesus than you've ever known before in your life, whether you've grown up in church your entire life or whether this is all brand new to you. And so we rejoined the study this morning with a great, great passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talks about money. Somebody say amen to that. To be even more specific, he talks about our attitude toward money. And this is a great passage for a lot of different reasons, but one of them is because it's relevant to all of us, even those who would be quick to tell me, well, Pastor, I don't have any money. Because obeying what Jesus has to say about money, and in particular our attitude about money, <clears throat> doesn't have a single thing to do with whether you have a little or a lot. What Jesus says is relevant and applicable to all of us, regardless of what season of life we're in. So if you're here this morning and you're a young person, I don't want you to think this is irrelevant to you because you can, you can apply these teachings to your life on a foundational level and it will impact your life for the rest of your life. If you're here and you're at an older season of life, listen, this, there's still time for you. Even if you've not done a good job of, it, there's, of this, there's still time for you to to learn and follow the instruction of Jesus with regard to money. So, if you got your Bible open there, Matthew chapter 6, this is what we always do. We always make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service, and because we love God's Word, we stand together in reverence and respect when we do it. I know you haven't been seated very long, but uh, let's stand together. And I want you to follow along as I read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves. Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money. All right, there it is. You can be seated every week. We ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. If I'm going to be honest with you this morning, I'll tell you that I love talking about money. I know a lot of people don't, but I do. And in particular, I love talk about, uh, talking about managing money. There's a word for that that we use in the scriptures. It's the word stewardship. It comes from the Greek word oikonomia, and it is a word that just simply means management or oversight. So when we talk about being a good steward of something, we're talking about being a good manager of whatever it is. It applies to so many areas of life. It applies to our, our time, our talents, our resources, our opportunities, our influence. But honestly, when we talk about stewardship in church, it's most commonly applied to the way we manage the money that God has entrusted to us. And that's a really big deal because the way we manage God's money is important to God. And while there are a lot of reasons why that's true, one of the most important reasons is because God knows that few things have the power to turn your heart away from him like money. Jesus makes that clear in our text this morning when he says you cannot serve both God and money. Now think about it. Of all the things that Jesus could list that have the potential to take our loyalty away from God, the one thing that he lists, the one thing that he cites is money. That's not just a coincidence. Because I'll say it again, few things have the power to turn our hearts away from God like money. And Jesus isn't the only one in the scriptures to acknowledge this. In fact, I'm going to put a verse up on the screen written by the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. I want you to read this with me. Let me hear your voices. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now look at that for a moment. He literally says, some people, eager for money, note this, have wandered from the faith, wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What's Paul saying? Well, essentially he's saying, I know people who once served God, but now they serve money because money has become their God. That's what he's saying. So we need to pay attention to what Jesus has to say about money, and that brings us back to our text where Jesus gives us a teaching, again, that's relevant to all of us regardless of whether we have a little or a lot or regardless of what season of life we might find ourselves in this morning. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to work our way through the text. That's what we usually do. I'm going to start in verse 19. I'm going to work my way all the way down to verse 24, and I'm going to tell you that in this passage of scripture, Jesus tells us that we need to do three things. If you're taking notes, write this first thing down. The first thing he says is we need to check our priorities. So write down, check your priorities. Check your priorities. Remember, we're talking about money. When it comes to money, check your priorities. And I see that in the very first part of the text. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't think this requires a lot of explanation. Basically, Jesus is telling us that when it comes to God's money, the money that God has entrusted to us, we need to choose the right storehouse. Two different times in that passage, Jesus uses the phrase, store up for yourselves. And so when it comes to money, we need the right storehouse. We need the right storehouse for God's money. And I say God's money, I emphasize God's money because the first and the most fundamental rule of stewardship is that everything belongs to God, everything. You're not the owner of anything. I'm not the owner of everything. The Bible says everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything 
in it, the world, and all who live in it. Everything. Everyone say everything. Everything belongs to God. Now, this is the most foundational rule of stewardship, financial stewardship. But every time I talk about this, I usually get some pushback from somebody who says, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the one who gets up and goes to work every day. I'm the one who busts my tail to try to get ahead in life. I'm the one who's responsible for bringing the money in. I'm not sure that I completely agree with you that everything belongs to God. I think that what I have belongs to me. Look at these words on the screen from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. Read them with me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know who gives you the ability to get up in the morning and go to work? Everyone say God. God. He's the one who gives you the breath in your lungs and the heart that beats in your chest. He's the one who's given you the opportunity and the resources and everything that's required in order to have a job. Listen, everything belongs to God. And so we need to take the money that God entrusts to us and make sure that we have the right storehouse for that money. And Jesus gives us two options. He gives us the option of the storehouse of earth and the storehouse of heaven. And then he, what he basically does in the text is he puts the two of them side by side, the storehouse of earth and the storehouse of heaven, and he compares them. I see three comparisons here. First of all, there's the comparison of safety. And the first thing Jesus tells us is that treasure in earth, treasure that's stored up in the storehouse of earth is susceptible to corruption, to decay, and to theft. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Note that he said, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In contrast to that, he said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. So what we place in the storehouse of, of heaven is opposite of the earth because it's not susceptible to corruption, it's not susceptible to decay, and it's not susceptible to theft. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that in heaven, those things don't happen at all. That's what he says in verse 20. So first of all, there's the comparison of safety or protection, rather. Then there's the comparison of return. And honestly, this is so important, I didn't want to leave it out, but we have to step outside of our text a little bit uh, in order to see this. You know, when we make investments in the world, when we make investments here on earth, uh, we, for example, like when we invest money in, in some kind of a, a investment that's driven by the stock market, then we have in our minds an idea of the kind of return we'd like to receive, you know? And so depending on who you are and your personality and your temperament and how much risk you're willing to take, you might think, well, I'd like to get a return of 8% or 10% or 12 or 15 or 20%. I don't know, okay? Everybody's different. Some people are more conservative by nature than others. But what we need to understand is that when we take the money that belongs to God that he's entrusted to us and we invest it in the storehouse of heaven, we can get a much greater return. In fact, we can get a return that can be as much as 30%, 60%, sometimes even 100%. And I'm not making that up. That comes right from the scriptures. Hold your place in Matthew chapter 6 and turn it just a few pages to the right to Matthew chapter 13. Now, when we get to Matthew chapter 13, this will be a great part of our study from Matthew because what we have in Matthew 13 are a series of parables that Jesus teaches that uh, are all about the kingdom, and they're incredible. The most familiar one is the first one. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. It's the parable of the sower. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 
Note this, 160 or 30 times what was sown, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, that's a pretty significant return, wouldn't you say? I mean, if I told you this morning that I could give you, I could put you in an investment that guaranteed you a 20% return on your investment for the rest of your life, would you say, absolutely sign me up? Everyone say, absolutely. How much better than 30, 60, or 100% of a return? When you make a financial investment in the kingdom of God, when you store up treasure in heaven, then that's what you're looking at. Now, let me just try to talk about this on a real practical way in real practical terms. Let's just, let's, I'm partial to this church, obviously, so I'm going to use this church as an example. Let's say you, you store up treasure in heaven by making a generous financial contribution to a church like Mount Pleasant Christian Church. Then here's what you need to know. Every year, we don't just send tens of thousands. We send hundreds of thousands of dollars to mission partners around the world. Now, if you go back to that parable of the sower, the seed, the seed that Jesus is talking about that the sower went out to sow is the word of God. So we make hundreds of thousands of dollars of contributions to mission partners around the world, which means that all around the world, because of your generosity, because of your investment in heaven, the word of God is being sown into the lives of people all around the world. And there's a return that comes from that effort. And it's a return that's not just for today. It's not just for this year. It's not even just for a single lifetime. It's a return that in many cases comes back year after year after year, generation after generation after generation. And so first of all, there's the comparison of safety when it comes to the storehouse of the earth and the storehouse of heaven. And secondly, there's a comparison of return. Listen, what you might be satisfied with an earth, when it comes to an earth of return is nothing compared to what Jesus can do when you make an investment in the storehouse of heaven. The third thing I see here is the comparison of protection. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the point is really simple here. If you invest what God has entrusted to you in the world, Jesus says your heart's gonna be in the world. But if you invest what God has entrusted to you in heaven, then your heart's gonna be in heaven. Now, somebody can try to argue that point all they want, but Jesus says our hearts follow what we treasure. And so if you want to protect your heart, and the Bible tells us we absolutely need to do that. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. If you want to protect your heart, then make sure that your heart is invested in heaven and not in the things of this world. Make sure that your heart's invested in the eternal rewards of heaven and not the temporary pleasures of the earth. So the first thing he says is check your priorities. Now, we continue to work our way through the text, and the second thing I write down here is Jesus says check your vision. Look back at verses 22 and 23. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Again, I don't think this requires a lot of explanation because Jesus' point is simple. The choices we make with regard to the money that God has entrusted to us is or rather are, determined by our vision. That's why Jesus uses the illustration of the eye. And so Jesus says, if your eyes are good, your whole body's gonna be full of light. If your whole body's full of light, you're gonna move in the right direction. If you're moving in the right direction, you're gonna make the right choices. In contrast to that, he said, if your eyes are bad because there's an absence of light, then that's gonna affect your vision, which is gonna make it difficult for you to move in the right direction, which is oftentimes gonna result in you making wrong choices. 
And so the question for all of us is my, is, is my vision for my life focused on heaven or earth? Is my vision for my life focused on the light of God's word or filled with the light of God's word? Or is it filled with the darkness that comes from being too focused on the world? Now, I mean, I mean you know what the, Jesus is talking about. Have you ever tried to walk through a dark room? You did a Frankenstein walk through a dark room? You know what I'm talking about? And you know how difficult that may be. That can add up, end up badly for you. Not too long ago, I, got, I couldn't sleep. I got up. I went downstairs. I was doing some work on my computer. About an hour later, I said, I'm going to go back to bed. I went upstairs. I opened the door. Everything was dark. Sandy was sound asleep, but I had to go to the bathroom before I went to bed. But the bathroom's on the other side of the bedroom, and there's a French doors that open like this to the, to the bathroom suite in our master bedroom. And I couldn't remember whether those doors were open or not. I couldn't remember how much they were open or anything like that. And so it's pitch black, and I'm doing the Frankenstein walk through my room really slowly, and I get to the place where I think I'm close to the doors, and I think I remember they're open, and I think they're open this much, and right in the head, you know. Okay, so I'm, I'm, there's darkness, I don't have good vision, I'm not going the right direction, I'm making the wrong choices. See, this is what it comes down to. We have to check our vision. And Jesus is telling us that when it comes to how we handle the money God has entrusted to us and whether or not we're going we're gonna, to uh, store up treasure in the storehouse of the earth or store up treasure in the storehouse of heaven is based on, you know, what our vision is, what our vision is for our life. You know, if you have a financial planner or, or if you've ever talked to a financial planner, I guarantee at some point they have told you, they have made some kind of a statement like this with regard to your investments. You need to think long-term. You need to think long-term. In other words, if you're investing in, in some kind of a vehicle that's, mark, that's stock market driven, they're going to say, you've got to think long-term. They're going to say, don't panic when the market goes down. They're, they're going to say, don't get in and out of the market. You're going to defeat your purpose. They're going to say, don't try to time the market. You'll never be able to do that. You don't have the expertise to do that. You've got to think long-term. You've got to put your money in. You've got to let it work by leaving it alone. And at the end of whatever the prescribed period of time is, then you're going to come out on top. That's the hope. That's the expectation. They're going to say that's the way to build wealth. And you know what? They're absolutely right. If you're going to build wealth today by investing in the stock market, then they're absolutely right. But here's what you also need to know. God has the same perspective about investments. God has this same long-term perspective when it comes to investing. The only difference is that God thinks way more long-term than a financial planner does. A financial planner thinks in terms of 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however long you're going to be able to be working in the marketplace and drawing an income and bringing it home. But God thinks in terms of hundreds of years, thousands of years. God thinks in terms of generations. And we need to remember that. So your vision for your life, your vision for your family, needs not to be focused on the temporary returns of the earth, the storehouse of the earth, but on the unlimited eternal rewards of heaven, the storehouse of heaven. You need to think not in terms of what I can get today. You need to think in terms of what God can do, not just for today, but well beyond your life. The third thing that I, we will continue to work our way through the text, and the third thing that Jesus says is check your loyalty. So he says check your priorities, number one. He says check your vision, number two. And the third thing he says is check your loyalty. Look back at verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he makes this statement, ties it all together by saying, you cannot serve both God 
and money. Now, here's the question for all of us this morning. When it comes to the way we handle the money that God has entrusted to us, where's our loyalty? You know, the Bible doesn't condemn money. You know, I, I, I need to be really, really clear about this. I, I, we've talked about this. I mean, I've been your pastor for a long time, so we've talked about this many times over the years. But I always want to be really clear about this. The Bible does not condemn money. And the Bible does not condemn people who have money or the making of money or anything like that. Paul doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But that's not all Paul says on the subject of money. He said that verse where he talks about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Look at these two verses from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, a little bit further down in the text. He says, Command those who are rich in this, wor- in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, what you should notice is what's not in those words. What's not in those verses. Nowhere in those verses does Paul talk about money being a bad thing. Nowhere in those verses is being rich condemned or are wealthy people told that they need to get rid of their wealth. What Paul does is he talks to wealthy people and he says, don't put your hope in wealth and be a good steward. Be a good steward. That's what he means when he says, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. And then he goes on in verse 19. Put the next verse up there. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's saying our focus on heavenly reward should be greater than our focus on earthly reward because heavenly reward, quite frankly, provides a much greater return and a much greater blessing to our lives and many other lives than the rewards of the earth. So when it comes to handling the money that God has entrusted you, here's the question. Where's our loyalty? Who are we serving, God or money? Now, that's, a, that's, you see, we just worked our way through the text. That's an explanation of the text. Let me try to tie it all together, and I'll try to do this quickly. By just ending with a simple lesson on money management. Now, I'm certain that there's nobody who's in the service today who really needs to hear this or anybody listening online, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let's just say for the sake of our conclusion that there are four basic laws of money management. We'll put them up on the, on the screen. There's the law of earning. There's a law of spending. When I say spending, I'm talking about everything from spending money on our lifestyle to paying taxes. I mean, just the spending of money. There's a law of earning. There's a law of spending. There's a law of saving, short-term saving, long-term saving. And let's say there's the law of giving. There's a law of generosity. Earning, spending, saving, giving. One of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 13:16, where uh, the proverb writer says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. I love that verse because it can be applied to just about anything in life. Every prudent man, every wise man acts or lives from a position of knowledge, while a foolish man exposes his folly. Or in other words, a foolish man just runs off without ever th- even thinking, giving any thought to what he does. I love that verse. I love it. Now, the first thing you need to do if you're going to follow the laws of money management is you're going to need to sit down and you're going to apply 
Proverbs 13, 16 to your life and, 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 and handle money from a position of knowledge, you're going to sit down and you're going to take a good long look at the first two laws. You're going to take a look at your earning and your spending, how much you're earning, how much is coming in, and how much you're spending, how much is going out. And here's the deal, friends. Listen to me close. If you ever hope in your life to have any level of financial freedom, to experience any kind of financial freedom in your life, then you've got to create some financial margin. And here's how you do it. You spend less than you earn right? You spend less than you earn. That's the only way in life to create financial margin, which leads to financial freedom. That's it. Now, that sounds so basic and like such a common sense statement, but this is a huge problem for a lot of people. It's a huge problem for a lot of people in this consumer culture that we live in, and I'm sure it's a huge problem for a lot of people who are going to come to church here this weekend. Because the truth is, research continually shows that Americans routinely spend more money than they earn. And how do we do this? We do this through debt. We do this through going into debt. And that creates a problem. Because when you have no financial margin in your life because you spend less than you earn, then you have no place for saving, which the Bible gives us strong instructions about. The Bible gives us instruction over and over again about the importance of saving money. But it's not just saving you have no money or no room for giving, no room for generosity, no room for storing up treasure in heaven. If you've got no financial margin, you've got no room for those kinds of things. And the Bible doesn't just teach us about giving. The Bible commands us to give. So listen, here's the bottom line. If you're taking the monies that God has entrusted to you and you're spending all of them, including money that you don't have, on a consumer lifestyle to the point where you can't save and you can't give, I've got two questions for you. The first question is this. Quite honestly, where's your heart? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second question is this. Who are you serving Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. This isn't complicated. There have been so many times over the years when people from church have come to me and they've, their lives are in such bad financial shape that they come seeking help. And often we'll sit down and we'll, we'll, just, we'll start with Proverbs 13, 16. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. And we'll just start working our way through their financial situation step by step by step, which, by the way, we can do for you. I don't really do that anymore because we have a whole financial freedom minister and trained counselors to help do that. And we can do that for you if you're in bad financial shape. And oftentimes we'll get to the place where we talk about giving. We'll talk about generosity. And because many of these people have grown up in church their whole lives and have a, had a commitment to Christ for a long time, they'll say something to me like this. You know, pastor, it was so much easier for me to give. They might even say it was so much easier, easier for me to tithe back to the Lord when we first started out and we didn't have much. And you know what? I completely understand that. But, you know, to be honest with you this morning, for me, it's just the opposite. It was so much harder to give and so much harder to tithe back to the Lord when Sandy and I first started out because we made very little money. Our first church started with 30 people. And I'm not saying that as a complaint. I'm just stating it as a fact. It was so much more difficult back then to be able to do that. It was an act of faith to do that on many occasions. But that was over 35 years ago. We've been married over 35 years. And quite frankly, that's not the reality of our lives today. 
And it's not difficult for us to give back to the Lord. It's not difficult for us to tithe back to the Lord. It's not difficult for us to give back over and above the tithe to the Lord. And here's why. Because over 35 years, as our income increased, our lifestyle stayed the same. In fact, the best decision that we ever made when it came to finances is to say this is the level of lifestyle we're going to live and we're not going to give in to the temptation that says the more you make, the more you what? Spend. Now, I'm not trying to criticize anybody and I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty this morning by saying that. I'm just trying to bring some conviction from the scriptures to all of our hearts. Based on what Jesus is teaching us, In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, God has no problem with wealth. God has no problem with the things that wealth can provide, but God has a real problem with people who are not being good stewards of what he's entrusted to them. Make sense? Uh, And this is so critical. I'm going to say it one more time. You listen to me close. God has no problem with wealth. You know some of the wealthiest people that ever lived are characters in the scriptures. And many and many occasions, they're wealthy because God blessed them with wealth. God does not have a problem with wealth. And God does not have a problem with the things that wealth can provide. But God has a problem with people who are not good stewards of what he's entrusted to them. And we need to take serious we need to have serious thoughts about that reality and so let me tell you something this morning if if you are not being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you and you're not saving any money you're not being generous on some level you're not making investments and storing up treasure in heaven because you're living a consumer lifestyle that's all about you and what you can experience today, then your life is in direct contradiction with what Jesus is teaching us here in the scriptures. I don't know any other way to say it. Your life is in direct contradiction of what Jesus is teaching us in the scriptures. There's so much more that God can do with the money that he's entrusted to you today. You know, this is the last weekend of our fiscal year. As a church, we operate on a fiscal year that goes from uh, from uh, July 1st to June 30th. This is the last weekend of the fiscal year. It starts again next weekend. And so we prepared our budget for the next fiscal year, 2017-2018. And in the next fiscal budget, we will give away just under $2 million to our local and our global mission partners. And let me tell you a little bit of what that looks like. I don't have much time left, so let me just give you a little picture of what that looks like. That means we're going to train leaders who are going to plant churches around the world. We're going to fund, we're going to financially fund the planting of churches around the world. We're talking about multiple countries around the world. We're going to be involved in supporting orphanages. We're going to build hospitals. We're going to rescue children from slavery. We're going to rescue young girls from sex trafficking. We're going to be involved in disaster relief. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to make sure that people have clean water in different parts of the world. We're going to help young women make right choices when it comes to unplanned pregnancies. We're going to build homes and provide homes for people without homes. We're going to fund the local Bible clubs in our local schools so children can hear the truth about Jesus as they go to school one morning each week. We're going to serve orphans in this country. We're going to make it possible for our kids to go to church camp and to go to Christ in youth conferences and on and on and on. We're going to do Night to Shine, which gives a experience of a lifetime to people of all ages with special needs. If we had more time, we could go on and on and on. And all of these things will happen only because they're funded by people like you and me as we choose to invest in the storehouse of heaven. And it's a joint opportunity. 
and it's a joint responsibility for everyone who is a part of this church family. It's not someone else's responsibility. It belongs to all of us. Whether, whether what you're able to give is a little because God has not entrusted a lot to you or whether you're able to give a lot because God has entrusted a lot to you. How could anyone not want to generously support those kinds of initiatives that store up treasure in heaven and produce eternal rewards that are going to go year after year after year, generation after generation after generation? This is what Jesus is talking about this morning, friends. And so this is why he said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I'm going to ask Brian to come or Tyson to come, and I'm just going to close like this. Here's the question for all of us, for me, for you, for all of us, everybody watching online. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Father in heaven, thanks for a chance to talk about these things. Thank you for the clarity in Jesus' words. I know that talking about money is a difficult thing for us.